Thank you for joining us for Business Technology News, a weekly program focused on products and services that are changing the way business and consumers use technology. Articles are selected from Wired, CNET, Business Insider, Wall Street Journal, CNBC, Bloomberg, Forbes, New York Times, Washington Post, and many other publications. My name is Michael Amy. This business technology article is posted to Crypto Fortune Magazine blog, written by Jeff John Roberts, and was published January 27, 2023. The title is California DMV is now on the blockchain. Why that's a bigger deal than you think. Many of the trends and ideas that shape America come to California first, so it's worth noting that the state has introduced a big tech upgrade at its Department of Motor Vehicles. As Fortune was first to report, the agency is in the final stages of replicating its title database on the Tezos blockchain and expects to launch consumer-facing applications tied to the blockchain within three months. In practice, this means California drivers will soon be able to hold their car titles as NFTs in their digital wallets, and the DMV will be streamlining the cumbersome process of title transfers. Based on comments from the agency's chief digital officer and from the software firm overseeing the project, the initiative sounds serious and potentially transformative. If millions of Californians start relying on blockchain to track ownership of their cars, other states will soon follow suit, and the crypto industry will finally be able to point to a major real-life use case for the technology. If this transpires, it's not hard to see other agencies and institutions think land title offices and university transcript departments likewise adopting blockchain. Most significant of all, California's DMV project could lead to a breakthrough in the field of digital identity. For a decade now, crypto boosters have hailed blockchain as a way to stop relying on data-gobbling companies like Google and Facebook to log into websites and instead rely on the privacy protections offered by blockchain to enjoy a quote-unquote sovereign identity on the web. Until now, the sovereign identity dream has been pie in the sky since, at the end of the day, it is the state and not some crypto startup that has ultimate authority on confirming you are you who you claim to be. If California decides to expand the DMV blockchain program, it could mean that it will be possible to rely on tools like zero-knowledge proofs to prove anything like your age or identity without disclosing a raft of other personal details. Yes, there's no guarantee this will come to pass, and the California DMV project could fizzle, especially as states have previously announced blockchain projects that amounted to little. Vermont, for instance, announced it would put land titles on the blockchain in 2018, and this has so far appeared to make little difference to the lives of homeowners there or anywhere else. Still, this time feels different. Blockchain technology has evolved, 
And California has a history of introducing major innovations for its massive population that spread to the rest of the world. If it pulls this off, many of us could be carrying NFTs of our driver's licenses in five years. That was written by Jeff John Roberts, and you can write to him at jeff.roberts at fortune.com. This article is posted to Fortune Magazine's blog titled Data Sheet. The title of the article is YouTube Lures TikTokers with Cash. It was posted on January 30th, 2023. It's Fortune tech reporter Alexandra Sternlicht filling in for Jacob. Over the last week, I interviewed six TikTok creators, each with over 50,000 followers on the platform, about whether they were interested in creating YouTube Shorts, the Google-owned version of TikTok. The answer was a resounding yes. Why? Because TikTok has failed to compensate creators who bring users and, in turn, advertisers to the platform. For creators, making videos for YouTube Shorts is more than just attention vengeance. The platform will begin sharing advertising revenue with the creators starting February 1. Those TikTokers produce content in niches that range from mental health to cupcake baking, but they're all frustrated by low payments from TikTok and plan to start creating content specifically for YouTube Shorts in the hopes of capitalizing on the Google-owned platform's newfangled payments scheme. I can't keep giving valuable information if I'm not making anything back because then I need to go get a real job, says Sabrina Zohar, who started her TikTok in 2022 and has since attracted 132,000 followers and 2.8 million likes to her mostly relationship and anxiety-focused content. Zohar said she plans to start focusing on YouTube shorts in addition to TikTok. I don't see a long-term strategy of me being able to monetize on a platform like TikTok, she said. Starting on February 1st, creators in the YouTube Partner Program, that is, users with over 1,000 subscribers and 10 million valid public short views, can monetize their YouTube Shorts videos with ad revenue sharing from the tech giant. YouTube will give 45% of advertising revenue on its in-feed ads to creators, pocketing 55%. YouTube Shorts looks almost identical to TikTok. It's mobile first, 60-second max, full-screen video with an algorithmic recommendation page as the feature home screen. It's a big deal because YouTube has helped mint the highest-paid Internet superstars with its AdSense program that shares 55% of revenue with YouTube partners on pre-, mid-, and bumper ads on long-form YouTube content. These people include the highest-paid creator, Mr. Beast, who made around $110 million in 2022 per Forbes. Shorts monetization is happening against the backdrop of an increasingly competitive video social ecosystem. Meta shared the success of its short-form video product Reels during an otherwise catastrophic year in an internal memo obtained by the Wall Street Journal. 
and a number of creators with whom I spoke also expressed confused satisfaction with Reels bonuses, money paid out to Reels makers for viral videos on Facebook and Instagram. Shannon Yodice, known to her 160,000 Instagram followers as that tile chick, says she makes an average of over $6,000 a month from Reels bonuses, a payment project from Meta to incentivize and reward viral videos. I tried to find a rhyme or reason, and I'm not really sure, she says, about her monthly Reels bonus payments, which reached a high of $24,000 for the month of April last year. Meanwhile, TikTok appears to be largely unsuccessful in paying creators. Last week, I wrote about TikTok Pulse, the company's version of AdSense, in which creators with top 4% videos in categories like fashion and food can, in theory, split ad revenues 50-50 with TikTok. Every creator I interviewed, now at 10, has earned less than $5 from Pulse. This follows the company's disastrous $1 billion creator fund that the company reserved to pay creators based on engagement. TikTokers in the creator fund reported making mere cents. Two creators with whom I spoke, Alexa Santos and Sabrina Zohar, went so far as to exit the creator fund because they believed TikTok demoted their content after they joined the payment initiative. This conspiracy theory has gained traction on Reddit and other corners of the Internet, but remains unsubstantiated. These ticked-off creators join equally agitated legislators. As Jacob wrote in Data Sheet last week, politicians are increasingly calling to ban TikTok over concerns about the app's link to China. Today we learn that TikTok's CEO, Xiao Chu will speak before the House Energy and Commerce Committee in March to assuage senators about the company's China linkage. To coax anxious legislators, ByteDance will store all American user data on Oracle-owned servers. It's a slightly strange fight as TikTok power users are mostly young many below voting age, so the platform's main constituency is mainly absent from the political debate. TikTok's fan base, however, is enormous. The app has an estimated 834 million users, 25% of whom are under 20. Though TikTok does not technically allow users under 13 to join, age verification is merely a checkbook, and Surgeon General Vivek Murthy went on CNN Newsroom this Saturday to say that 13 is too young for social media. That said, the creators with whom I spoke span a wide range of ages. Mary Negron, 41, says she spends an average of 30 hours a week going live on her TikTok account. Mary Negron's School of Nails and has made just $514.50 in two months from streaming on the platform. She's happy for the extra cash to support her nail technician school, but is ready to start making YouTube shorts. Nowadays, any way that you can bring attention to your brand and still make money and it not be too much effort, I mean, who wouldn't do it? 
Again, that was written by Alexandra Sternlicht, and she's filling in on data sheet in this particular posting for Jacob Carpenter. This article is posted to Forbes. Title is Exclusive, Bill Gates on Advising OpenAI, Microsoft, and Why AI is the Hottest Topic of 2023. This is written by Alex Conrad, posted on Monday, February 6, 2023. In 2020, Bill Gates left the board of directors of Microsoft, the tech giant he co-founded in 1975, but he still spends about 10% of his time at its Redmond, Washington headquarters, meeting with product teams, he says. A big topic of discussion for those sessions, artificial intelligence and the ways AI can change how we work and how we use Microsoft's software products to do it. In the summer of 2023, Gates met with OpenAI co-founder and president Greg Brockman to review some of the generative AI products coming out of the startup Unicorn, which recently announced a multi-year, multi-billion dollar deepened partnership with Microsoft. You can read more about OpenAI and the race to bring AI to work, including comments from Brockman, CEO Sam Altman, and many other players in the print feature of Forbes magazine. Gates' thoughts on AI shared exclusively with Forbes are coming up right now. The reporter, Alex Conrad, it looks like 2018 was the earliest I saw you talking with excitement about what OpenAI was doing. Is that right, or where does your interest in the company begin? Bill Gates. My interest in AI goes back to my very earliest days of learning about software. The idea of computers seeing, hearing, and writing is the long-term quest of the entire industry. It's always been super interesting to me, and so as these machine learning techniques started to work extremely well, particularly things for speech and image recognition, I've been fascinated by how many more inventions we would need before AI is really intelligent in the sense of passing tests and being able to write fluently. I know Sam Altman well. And I got to know Greg Brockman through OpenAI and some of the other people there, like Ilya Sutskever, Brockman's co-founder and chief scientist. And I was saying to them, hey, you know, I think it doesn't reach an upper bound unless we more explicitly have a knowledge representation and explicit forms of symbolic logic. There have been a lot of people raising those questions, not just me, but they were able to convince me that there was significant emergent behavior as you scaled up these large language models, and they did some really innovative stuff with reinforcement learning on top of it. I've stayed in touch with them, and they've been great about demoing their stuff. And now, over time, they're doing some collaboration, particularly with the huge back ends that these skills require that's really come through their partnership with Microsoft. Reporter, that must be gratifying for you personally that your legacy is helping their legacy. Bill Gates, yeah, it's great for me because I love these types of things. 
Also wearing my foundation hat, that is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which Gates talked more about in September, the idea that a math tutor that's available to inner-city students or medical advice that's available to people in Africa who, during their life, generally wouldn't ever get to see a doctor, that's pretty fantastic. You know, we don't have white-collar worker capacity available for lots of worthy causes. I have to say, really, in the last year, the progress in AI has gotten me quite excited. Reporter. Few people have seen as many technological changes or major shifts as close up as you have. How would you compare AI to some of these historic moments in technology history? Bill Gates. I'd say this is right up there. We've got the PC without a graphics interface. Then you have the PC with a graphics interface, which are things like Windows and Mac, and which for me really began as I spent time with Charles Simonier at Xerox PARC. That demo was greatly impactful to me and kind of set an agenda for a lot of what was done in both Microsoft and in the industry thereafter. Then, of course, the Internet takes that to a whole new level. When I was CEO of Microsoft, I wrote the Internet Tidal Wave memo. It's pretty stunning that what I'm seeing in AI just in the last 12 months is every bit as important as the PC. The PC with GUI, that is Graphical User Interface, or the Internet. As the four most important milestones in digital technology, this ranks up there. And I know OpenAI's work better than others. I'm not saying they're the only ones. In fact, you know, part of what's amazing is that there will be a lot of entrance into this space. But what OpenAI has done is very, very impressive. And they certainly lead in many aspects of AI, which people are seeing through the broad availability of chat GPT. Reporter. How do you see this changing how people work or how they do business? Should they be excited about productivity? Should they be at all concerned about job loss? What should people know about what this will mean for how they work? Bill Gates. Most futurists who've looked at this coming of AI have said that repetitive blue-collar and physical jobs would be the first jobs to be affected by AI, and that's definitely happening. And people shouldn't lower their guard to that. But it's a little more slow than I would have expected. You know, Rodney Brooks, a professor emeritus at MIT and robotics entrepreneur, put out what I would call some overly conservative views of how quickly some of these things would happen. Autonomous driving has particular challenges. But factory robotization will still happen in the next five to ten years. But what's surprising is that tasks that involve reading and writing fluency, like summarizing a complex set of documents or writing something in the style of a pre-existing author, the fact that you can do that with these large language models and reinforce them, that fluency is really quite amazing. One of the things I challenged Greg Brockman with early in the summer Hey, can OpenAI's model pass the AP biology tests? And I said, if you show me that, then I will say that it has the ability to represent things in a deeply abstract form. That's more than just statistical things. When I was first programming, 
We did these random sentence generators where we'd have the syntax of typical English sentences, you know, noun, verb, object. Then we'd have a set of nouns, a set of verbs, and a set of objects, and we'd just randomly pick them. And every once in a while, we would spit out something that was funny or semi-cogent. You'd go, oh my God, that's the monkeys typing on keyboards type of thing. Well, this is a relative of that. Take the AI's ability to take something like an AP test question. When a human reads a biology textbook, what's left over in your mind? We can't really describe that at a neurological level. But in the summer, OpenAI showed me progress that I really was surprised to see. I thought we'd have to invent more explicit knowledge representation. Satya Nadella, Microsoft's CEO, is super nice about getting input from me on technological things, and I spend maybe 10% of my time meeting with Microsoft product groups about their product roadmaps. I enjoy that time. And it also helps me be super up-to-date for the work of the foundation, which is in health, education, and agriculture. And so it was a huge win to give feedback to OpenAI over the summer, too. Now people are seeing most of what I saw. I've seen some things that are somewhat more up-to-date. If you take this progression, the ability to help you write and to help you read is happening now, and it will just get better. And they're not hitting a boundary, nor are their competitors. So, okay, what does that mean in the legal world, or in the processing of invoices world, or in the medical world? There's been an immense amount of playing around with ChatGPT to try to drive those applications, even things as fundamental as search. ChatGPT is truly imperfect. Nobody suggests it doesn't make mistakes, and it's not very intuitive. And then with something like math, it'll just be completely wrong. Before it was trained, its self-confidence in a wrong answer was also mind-blowing. We had to train it to do Sudoku, and it would get it wrong and say, oh, I mistyped. Well, of course you mistyped. What does that mean? You don't have a keyboard, you don't have fingers, but you're mistyping? Wow, but that's what the corpus of training text had taught it. Reporter. Having spent time with Greg Brockman and Sam Altman, what makes you confident that they are building this AI responsibly and that people should trust them to be good stewards of this technology, especially as we move closer to an AGI? Well, open, uh, this is Bill Gates now. Well, open AI was founded with that in mind. They certainly aren't a purely profit-driven organization, though they do want to have the resources to build big, big, big machines to take this stuff forward. And that will cost tens of billions of dollars, eventually, in hardware and training costs. But the near-term issue with AI is a productivity issue. It will make things more productive, and that affects the job market. The long-term issue, which is not yet upon us, is what people worry about, the control issue. What if the humans who are controlling it take it in the wrong direction? If humans lose control, what does that mean? I believe those are valid debates. These guys care about AI safety. They'd be the first to say that they have not solved it. 
Microsoft also brings a lot of sensibilities about these things as a partner as well. And look, AI is going to be debated. It'll be the hottest topic of 2023, and that's appropriate. It will change the job market somewhat, and it'll make us really wonder what are the boundaries. For example, it's not anywhere close to doing scientific invention, but given what we're seeing, that's within the realm of possibility five years from now or ten years from now. Reporter, what is your favorite or most fun thing that you've seen these tools create so far? Bill Gates, it's so much fun to play around with these things when you're with a group of friends and you want to write a poem about how much fun something has been. The fact that you can say, okay, write it like Shakespeare, and it does, that creativity has been fun to have. I'm always surprised that even though the reason I have access is for serious purposes, I often turn to ChatGPT just for fun things. And after I recite a poem it wrote, I have to admit that I could not have written that. Again, the title is exclusive. Bill Gates on advising OpenAI, Microsoft, and why AI is the hottest topic of 2023. Thank you for joining us today for Business Technology News. My name is Michael Amy. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.